For Hispanic Heritage Month, we're going to chat about one of the most inspirational life stories. He literally jumped the southern border fence to America. He went from homeless migrant farm worker to being a Harvard medical student. And what became of this amazing story? Get all the details on this Hispanic Heritage episode of Technically a Conversation. Greetings, super friends. Welcome to another episode of Technically a Conversation. Here, we like to share an interesting topic or story with each other, which we've recently learned and hope you find it interesting too. I'm one half of your host today, Isela. Joining me as always is the very punctual Jose. (laughs) How are you? I'm doing great. How about yourself? Not bad at all. I'm glad that my punctuality impresses you. Only because we are minorities. And as minorities, we don't where that's not like our forte so i'm always ever impressed by by that you know cuz i don't have it my mom certainly has it my mom is very much like you if the if the party starts at 6 p.m. she's leaving at like 5 and i'm like we live 30 minutes away what are you doing <laughs> <laughs> anyway usually for parties i will get there maybe if not on time maybe a little bit later just cuz i know that well, I know my people, and I know that if I get there on time, I'll be helping them, like, fill up the yeleras or, you know, doing some other stuff, helping them decorate or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> that happened to me. I did. I went to some, um, I think it was like a birthday party, and I went over to my uncle's house. I got there maybe 10 minutes after the time they said. My aunt had still not showered. She still, she's like, oh, I still have to mop the floor. I'm like, well, let me mop. I'm over there in my heels mopping. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> good times. That happens to me too. It's like, oh, the, it's going to be at five. And I show up at six. And a particular family member that will remain unnamed, I'll get there and they're still outside cleaning. They haven't taken a shower or anything. So, Oh, no. That's very funny. But you know what? That's his jam. So it's all good. That's okay. Yeah. As long as the party gets going eventually. (laughs) But I'm the type of person that I like to get there early so that I can leave early. What? Yeah. Are you sure? Because like all the parties (laughs) that we go to, we're the ones closing the shit down. What are you talking about? I think that sometimes ends up turning like that, but that's usually not my intention. My intention is to be one of the first ones to leave. Oh, wow. That's, That's actually very surprising. I just thought, Jose's once a month time to socialize like he's really gonna ring it out like he's getting there early and he's leaving last <laughs> well lately it's been like once a quarter so oh well, that's true well and then the the new covid variant is coming up so maybe it's gonna be once every six months now yeah and there's a, a brand new one called like perilous or something like that like it reminded me of uh the brazen bull because i think that was the name of one of the dudes like perilous or some <laughs> yeah, shit yes exactly <laughs> scary but yeah like it was just discovered in texas so i was like woohoo texas yeah oh god yeah we're number one (laughs) we were number four i think of the u.s to to discover lovely okay that's it masks up for me (laughs) masks up pants down whoa that's oh (laughs) 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 so 
We're going to kick it off with some questions. All right. Is there someone, doesn't matter whether you know them personally or not, that you would consider has really overcome a lot of adversity? I feel like most people that I know have overcome some type of adversity. Oh, okay. Is there someone that you know that has really overcome the most? Yes. And I won't share their stories because they're kind of personal. No, that's, that's, I completely understand that. I'll share the one that I think of is my dad. I think he really overcame a lot. He worked really hard every freaking day. He never called in sick. Did you, do you know that? Like never. Oh, wow. So you got the perfect attendance award? He got the perfect attendance award. In fact, here's the award he got. HR called him in after like three years, but um, they asked him, so what's the deal? You never get sick. Like that's, shouldn't you be congratulating me? What the hell? <laughs> right? Like you're welcome. I'm fucking dependable. Jesus. I had something similar like that at a previous job also, mm-hmm. but they pretty much brought it up to my attention because they said, right, you have so many hours of PTO and you're already at the point where you're maxed out. And if you don't start using it, you're going to start losing it. So I was like, oh, okay, I'll start using my pay time off then. Oh, that's very surprising. I'd be the first person. Like, as soon as I get eight hours, I'm like, all right, (laughs) day off. I'm just kidding. (laughs) Well, at the time I was still going to school. So I figured, well, if I still have to get up early to go to school anyway, might as well go to work. Oh, that's very nice of you. I I appreciate that. That's very good. I was a kid. I had nothing better to do. So (laughs) that's funny. (laughs) Now I know better, guys. Oh, and side note, what is your favorite Mexican beer, by the way? Not a big fan of many of them, just because I'm not a huge (laughs) lager fan. (laughs) Okay. I many like IPAs, but um, I remember the first one liking when I was younger was probably Dos Equis, so it would probably still be that one. It's pretty refreshing, yeah. I think mine is definitely Negra Bombero, the amber. Yeah, that one is pretty good, too. Yeah, okay. Well, it's Hispanic Heritage Month, and I absolutely could not wait to share the story. It's an inspirational story of a fellow Mexicano. (laughs) His name, Alfredo Quinones Hinojosa. Have you heard of him? Do you know his story? Is that the Cheetos guy? Yes, of course. I want to highlight the Cheetos guy. (laughs) (laughs) Who's that guy? It's not? No. Oh, there was a a guy that, um, apparently the story is not true. Oh. But there was like a, a legend that was going around that some guy that worked for, I want to say it was for Frito-Lay or something. They ended up coming up with the recipe for the Flaming Hot Cheetos. Oh. And they were like the janitor or something like that. And I guess like the inspirational thing was like, oh, everybody in that company makes a difference. You know, even somebody like the janitor because they were able to come up with one of the most successful recipes from Cheetos or something. Oh, wow. But it wasn't true. Well, I saw one of those clickbaity headlines that said that didn't quite happen like that, but I didn't click on it, so I don't really know the story, but... Oh, that's wonderful to share then. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Now we got to search something up for homework. (laughs) Yeah, now we got to research it to see how much of that story is true. Oh, okay. Oh, wow. That is a really good flavor, though. Jesus. That's my favorite one of the Cheetos, for sure. Yeah, it's a really good one. Well, this is exactly why I want to share his story, because you haven't heard of him, and I have a feeling not only you, but a lot of people don't know his story. And it's so moving. Like, I need, need capital. <laughs> I need to share it with the world. Luckily, you're on a podcast that's heard internationally. Exactly. 
So how's this for a teaser? He went from homeless to not even speaking English to being part of one of the most well-respected occupations. Do I have your attention, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Bueno, Jose. Whip out that Los Equis because this episode celebrates a fellow Mexican seizing the American dream. Are you ready for it? Yeah, let me just run to my fridge to go grab one real quick. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's when we insert the little, you know. <laughs> I don't know if it sounds like that. Yeah, no, and I actually don't have a uh, Dos Equis in my fridge. Oh, man. Everyone's crying now. Great. <laughs> <laughs> I have a bunch of Lagunitas. Oh, that one's actually really good. And it's in Southern Cal, right? Isn't it from Southern Cal? It's actually in Northern California. Oh, geez. Okay. It's in Petaluma, California. Ah, hijo, míralo. Okay. <laughs> I know my beer, girl. I know. <laughs> Alfredo's story starts as many inspirational stories do, born in a foreign country into a poor family, but full of love. He was born in Palaco, Mexico, which is just right outside of Mexicali, which is in Baja, California. His family was big, six siblings, but his little sister died because of lack of access to health care. Apparently, it was dysentery like or de dehydration, something like that, which sadly is something that could have been easily curable, but they just didn't have access to health care. And sadly, there's still a lot of people that die from that. Absolutely true. Yes, it is very sad. And this is one of his first earliest memories when he was about three years old. He remembers that his sister passing away. Later, he dreamed of living and working in the United States. Of course, never in a quixotic way. He knew he was going to have to put in some hard work. Alfredo wanted to live here in the U.S. because he had an uncle who was a farm worker and he would come back to Mexico to visit with a big bag of potatoes. This simple act, you and I would probably take for granted, but it made Alfredo look at his uncle as if he was like rich, like richy rich, you know? <laughs> at first, I thought you were going to say he comes home with a big bag of money. Oh, well, then that would be awesome, but... <laughs> Migrant farm workers are probably not that paid. <laughs> but that's probably his equivalent to him. You know, he saw him as he was rich. Yeah. Alfredo wanted to help his family like that, like his uncle. He was very methodical and he knew that the way to get to the U.S. was going to have to be to climb and jump the border fence. Yeah. The American dream was planted like that. <laughs> that's still the American dream for a lot of people is climbing that fence. Absolutely. Why I wanted to share this story. Being the pragmatic person that Alfredo was, he timed how often the Border Patrol vehicles would pass by in order to know exactly how long of a window he had to climb up and over. That specific part of the fence was chosen because of the perpendicular street. It had to be long enough for him to get a running start to like go up and over. Like all this stuff was like super planned. One day when he was 14, he jumped it but he couldn't outrun them. He was thrown back into Mexico, but this time full of determination, he knew that the next time was going to be a successful one. Alfredo also knew that he really didn't have a choice because if he was going to get caught a second time, the Border Patrol was probably not going to be as nice and forgiving about it as they were the first time where they just kind of threw him back. He began to train for it, running to build up endurance, and it was on, cabrones! <laughs> Skip to when he's 18 years old and Alfredo's ready. Up and over he went. This time, not getting caught. It's like Super Mario Brothers 
when he just passed level one and now he's in that weird place. Right. <laughs> but then you get the, I'm sorry, Mario, your princess is in another castle. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, he's all sad. Yeah. America always has a lot of agricultural jobs employed by Mexicans. No secret there. Thus, it only made sense that his first job was picking weeds out from in between the tomato plants and the cotton plants. The work is backbreaking, almost literally, because they're bent over all day and walking in these seemingly endless rows after rows, just from one section to the next. And the days were long, and each night he saw that his hands were cut up and bloodied. Imagine! Getting up the next day with your hands like barely starting to heal and you got to do it all over again. That's awful. Yeah. I have so much respect for our farm workers. For reals. Yeah, for sure. Go ahead and play um, clip one. How did you come to the country <laughs> illegally and then how did you become legal? So it's quite interesting. So you know that through the country, this country was built upon people who have come and immigrated to this country. Some of them legally, some of them illegally. In my case, I came in with no documentation and no ability to get uh, a job or an education. So when I first came in into the United States in the late 80s and I crossed the border between Mexico and the United States, ended up coming into the San Joaquin Valley to work as a migrant farm worker, it was, an, it was no challenge to find a job. There were, not, there were not a lot of thousands of people trying to get the jobs of pulling weeds with his very same hands that are now doing brain surgery. I was pulling the weeds. And as you can imagine, pulling the weeds from the, uh, from the, the, land, the, 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 the land that is doing all the products, cantaloupes, cauliflower, corn, all those kind of things, my hands were bloody. I mean, continuously being hurt. So there were not a lot of people lining up. So I came in and asked for a job, and I immediately got a job. And then eventually... Right around Ronald Reagan had the immigration reform that gave a working authorization specifically for people who had been in the United States for a certain amount of years. And then there was a special legislation for people who came and work as migrant farm workers. And that legislation allowed you to have a working authorization. That was the first thing. And to pay taxes. And eventually that working authorization, you couldn't go back anywhere. You couldn't, back to, couldn't go back to your country, but it allowed you to work legally, pay taxes, and eventually apply for a green card, which is eventually what I did. So the country was welcoming people like me who work in the fields. It was a different time. So he knew that being a farm worker was a first step because he told his cousin, hey, I'm thinking about going back to school and learning English. His cousin seemed confused and said something to the effect of like, for what? This is the American dream already. And we got it. We're blessed to have a job here. To him, it sounded like, you know, this is as good as it gets. This is it. And Alfredo said it just was a stab directly to the heart because he refused to think that this was going to be as good as it got. That day, he quit his job and all the determination in the world said, I'm going to do nothing but keep progressing and keep going forward. And this is really where that fire was born. He said he made a very deliberate decision, not looking back and just improvement and progress. That's it. That was going to be the name of the game. Alfredo got a better job that same day with the railroad as a cleaner. Hey, he's 
still starting from the bottom, right? But still a little bit of a better job. Later on, he became a welder. Later on, he became a supervisor. I mean, come on, this is like where we would cue that Drake song, started from the bottom, now we're here, right? (laughs) (laughs) He's slowly getting there. He's slowly getting there. And all the while, he had enrolled in a small community college in Stockton, California around 1988. He stayed there, learned English at night school up until about 91. His grades were amazing. He ended up going to UC Berkeley, which is a really good school. Again, worked hard academically, got amazing grades, and graduated with honors. Oh, that's awesome. Isn't it? One course mentor looked at his grades and asked him, is this really you? (laughs) Alfredo at this point was quite the rebel, and I should explain. He was the challenger of the norm. He had long hair, it was curly, small hoops in both ears, you know, not like the picture of like, oh, this is the studious person, right? (laughs) (laughs) Well, somebody with long hair, I had to overcome those stereotypes as well. Yes. So now you could see exactly, right. Yeah. And for everybody else out there, hopefully you're not picturing like Captain Jack Sparrow going to college or something. (laughs) (laughs) The mentor added, with these grades, you have a real shot to go to Harvard. Alfredo's immediate reaction was like, oh, he's crazy. But then he quickly thought, I'm going for it. This is a good time to cut to a commercial break. When we come back, we will find out, did he conquer Harvard or did racism knock him out of one of the most prestigious Ivy League schools? That's what I want to know. And I want to know how he paid for it too, because it's super expensive. Yeah, right. <laughs> it is, Yeah. <laughs> Have you ever wondered what it's like to be buried in an avalanche? Weird foreign feeling of despair. Or how it feels to crash a skydive? I remember hearing a thud, feeling my body hit the ground. Or how you would react if you were being attacked by an alligator? At the end of my leg is this huge alligator head on my leg. These are the stories you'll hear on the podcast called What Was That Like? True stories told by the actual person who went through it. You'll hear from a victim of an attack. Dragging me into the bathroom and saying, I'm going to kill you, now you're going to die. You'll hear from a man who discovered a baby. How could this be? How could there be a baby on the ground? And you'll hear actual 911 calls. Clinky County 911, there's a man at my back door. He's trying to get in. What Was That Like is a podcast about real people in unreal situations. Search for What Was That Like on any podcast app or at What Was That Like. If you like true crime, dark history, the haunted and paranormal, then we think you'll like Ghost Town. Ghost Town is hosted by me, Rebecca Lieb. And me, Jason Horton. We cover both notorious and obscure true crimes. The haunted, paranormal, and unexplained. And the dark history of everything from world events to pop culture. There are new episodes of Ghost Town every Wednesday and Friday. Find out for yourself what Vulture.com called essential listening and one listener called a total waste of time. So pause the podcast you're listening to right now. And go subscribe to Ghost Town for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And at ghosttownpod.com. And we're back! We're back! (laughs) That was very gore or something. (laughs) That's funny. But we're approaching the spooky season, so. 
I'm so excited. You have no idea. I already started putting up my decorations. I have not, but uh, I'm very lazy when it comes to doing that. Oh, that's okay. Did you see my, my little Dia de los Muertos banner back here? I did. It's really pretty. It's so cute. I'm excited about it. <laughs> <laughs> so we left off teasing. Did he make it into Harvard? What do you think? 50-50 shot? Yes. <gasps> yes, he did. He was in. <laughs> I'm sorry. He studied at Harvard for four years. Get this, in medical school. Oh, wow. <laughs> I know. When he graduated, he was selected by his professors to give the commencement speech. This is already an incredible story. And he was off to the races after he learned English, right? Like, it just seemed like there was nothing holding him back. And as if it doesn't make him already, like amazing, but he had also published 11 research papers by the time he graduated medical school. Oh, wow. Yeah. This was also around the time that he became a U.S. citizen. One of us. One of us. <laughs> <laughs> and um, he has been famous for saying, I went from harvest to Harvard in less than seven years. The hell am I doing with my life? I know, right? <laughs> the last three sets of seven years look all identical. <laughs> Homie didn't fuck around. No, dude. I mean, how, what do you think already? That's pretty remarkable. Dude, it's so inspiring. It's so inspiring. So he then became Dr. Alfredo Quinones Hinojosa, which clearly is too difficult <laughs> for his colleagues to say. So they started calling him Dr. Q. That's what he's known as right now. I'll refer to him as Dr. Q from now on, since now he has earned the degree in this time of our story. How exactly did he choose his specialty? He was studying late one Friday night while he was in Harvard, and a real famous surgeon professor came in and asked him if he had any interest in seeing a brain surgery. And of course, he was like, yeah, of course I do, assuming he was going to say, you know, like, okay, well, this is the date I'm going to do it or whatever. But instead, he said, great, follow me. And he was like, whoa. <laughs> It's like, that already sounds like a way cooler Friday than I usually have. I'm just going to say that. <laughs> right? It was at that moment when he saw the brain pulsating in sync with the patient's breath that he knew he was going to be a brain surgeon, a neurosurgeon, I guess is really what they're called. <laughs> I think I would have passed out from seeing that. I would have loved it. Oh, my God. I, I legitimately watch those on YouTube. Like, I have not even going to lie. I can't watch that. <laughs> oh, they're so cool. Anyway, when he admitted to a fellow medical student what he was thinking of specializing in, uh, specifically neurosurgery, they told him, no, they're the most arrogant of all the specialties. <laughs> 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 Yet even Dr. Q confesses he has to be arrogant when he needs to be. For example, when he's in surgery and he goes into the OR, he has to be part of the special forces to defeat this monster of a tumor or whatever it is that they're getting out. But the arrogance showed up well before that. In his TED Talks, he recounts that when he was little, he loved this comic book of the superhero Kaliman. Have you heard of that one? Yes. Okay. <laughs> so then you know his signature move. Him and his friends would pull together their money and buy one copy and they would all take turns reading it, which I think was really sweet. But of course, they were <laughs> poor, right? They're small. There was this Kaliman move where he was known for if he was surrounded by all of his foes, two in the front, two behind him, he would, of course, bear in mind, this is a comic book, people. He would jump up 
And leaning forward, he would punch the two people in the front with his two hands, or his two fists, rather, and then simultaneously donkey kicking the two people in the back. (laughs) (laughs) That was like the signature move. When Alfredo and his friends were young and they were starting to get bullied, he told them, don't worry, I got this. I'm going to start practicing the Kaliman move. (laughs) And if they continue (laughs) to bully us, I got this. Don't worry. How successful was he at pulling that off, though? (laughs) Yeah. Clearly not not very. So (laughs) that's exactly where I'm going to. Soon thereafter, when the bullies were at it again, the young little Alfredo tried the Kaliman move, but of course he only fell to the ground and he was really embarrassed. (laughs) He ran home crying to his mom, not because of embarrassment, but because he realized that his dreams were shattered. If he, Alfredo, couldn't do that move, that means surely Kaliman didn't exist and he couldn't do the maneuver either. What the hell? (laughs) (laughs) That's a healthy ego, which is great, you know? (laughs) Okay, let's get back to where we... Left off. He graduated Harvard Medical School. Alfredo then attended UCSF in San Francisco for six years for his residency. By the time he completed his residency, he had published 74 papers. Jesus Christ. I know, dude. This guy's just a monster in like the best way, obviously. (laughs) Then he went to Johns Hopkins, which is a world-renowned academic medical center where he was quickly promoted to full professor within six years. And that's a very short time for Johns Hopkins. Today, Dr. Q is chair of the Department of Neurological Surgery at the Mayo Clinic. That's where people come all over the world to seek out the best of the best doctors. And Dr. Q, with over 400 publications and six books, out of all these thousands of doctors, he's only one of the four Mayo professors. Oh, wow. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. It's like, yes, Mexicans, we can do it. As impressive as his academics and accomplishments are, it was so refreshing to hear him say that he knows that he stands on the shoulders of giants and he really appreciates all the talented people that he surrounds himself every day in the OR. Dr. Q also said it was really important to recognize that other people are way smarter than him and he still has so much to learn. I think that outlook is so admirable and it's so humble. I wish more people had that. I think it's the outlook that keeps you growing as a person though. I agree. Because I think that once you become cocky and you think that you know everything, you stop seeking out answers to questions, you know? Right. You almost stop viewing other people like they can't teach me anything. When in reality, you know, I feel like everybody has something to teach someone, you know? Yeah. There's always going to be somebody that's better than you at at least one thing. Oh, for sure. For sure. Even in general, I always tell my daughter, you are not better than anyone. And no one is better than you. Like trying to stress equality, no one's better than you. Like, you know, but still, let's, we're all in this together. We can learn from each other. We all have different experiences we can learn from. Well, I realize that 99.9% of the people are better than me. So (laughs) (laughs) I don't have that delusion. (laughs) You're so silly. Well, you know as well as I do, at least, that being Mexican comes with so much judgment here in the U.S. And he speaks openly about this, too. When he was in UC Berkeley, one of the teaching assistants, the TAs, asked him, where are you from? And he answered really proudly, like he normally did, Mexico. But the lady incredulously said, you can't be from Mexico. You're way too smart. And this really changed his whole perspective of where he was from. And he was double guessing himself on how he saw 
Mexico. And it was really sad because he said it hung over him for years until he graduated Harvard. And then he began to be proud again from where he was from. And he really hasn't forgotten where he's from. He founded Mission Brain, where he brings a team of incredible doctors to Mexico, Ecuador, all over Latin America to provide free life-saving surgeries who otherwise would never have access to them. The website is super cool, by the way. People who want to study neuroscience or nursing, anything like that, go to the website because they do offer a scholarship. The landing page also gives you really cool stats as far as how many surgeries they've done to date. For example, 4,550 hours in total so far with 99 surgeries, zero paid employees. That's what they've completed so far. Isn't that really incredible? That is super awesome. I feel like we need more people like that in the world. I agree. He was just so inspiring. Watching interview after interview and thoroughly enjoying all his stories. And he has this like infectious excitement for life. Admittedly, I am like slightly twisted. And I know I like to watch those OR, those operating room uh, <laughs> videos or whatever they like said. But it was like I was ready to go into surgery and I'm not even a surgeon. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> In the Netflix show, Surgeon's Cut, he's highlighted in episode two. The cameras follow him around, preparing for big surgeries. And you see him preparing his operating room staff, uh, all these experts around him. I mean, it's really inspiring to see how he led this really talented team. And they show him even taking out this one tumor. And it looks so difficult because it's in these tiniest of spaces. I know your face. <laughs> and... <laughs> Yeah, I'm telling you, you got to see it. It's so cool. No, I, I can't. <laughs> like even just thinking about that, like going to the doctor and then telling me, you know, you have a brain tuber, we're gonna have to operate and remove it. I'd be like, no, you know what? That's fine. That's fine. I'll I'll just die from that. That's okay. You're crazy. <laughs> That's funny. Tell me how many more years I have and I'll make sure to uh, make the most of them. No, you're so silly. No, no. <laughs> well, if there are other people listening that are like me and like to watch all that stuff, you'll see all that interesting stuff. You'll see him cutting the dura of the brain, which mm. is like fancy Nancy speak of the, it's the casing. It's the brain sack, if you will. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's really interesting. And if there's other people like me who are very squeamish, yeah. know that you're not alone. Okay. Yes. I, I understand <laughs> that. I get it. I think my daughter is the same way. <laughs> This is just one of the surgeries in that episode. And he does describe what a typical day looks like for him. And this, this first two clips are coming out of a C-SPAN interview. My alarm goes around 4.50. I take another little 10 minute to gather my thoughts and then I get up. I went for a run because I'm training for a, a half marathon that I'm running on, in honor of my patients that are battling brain cancer. Small little thing that I can do. And I'm not, not going to lie to you. I'm not completely in, in perfect shape to be able to do that, but I'm giving it my best. And I'm going to do it. And it's going to be the Baltimore Marathon. I then went in, drove uh, to my office, made a several phone calls. So a few patients came here to Washington, D.C. with you. I'm going to go back into the operating room. And then tonight I'll get home around 8 p.m., have my dinner with my kids, you know, for about 30 minutes, tell them a story, put them to bed, go back to my office until about 10, 10.30, and then spend about half hour to an hour with my wife, you know, and watch the news, and then go to bed around midnight, and I get called all night. Overnight, I am on call for the hospital, so I receive about four or five calls throughout the night. I'm always on call for my patients. Any patient 
that wants to get a hold of me, they always have my phone. The truth is they know better. Sometimes they call the hospital because they know I need to get some rest at night. But that I do that every single day, seven days a week. I done it 365 days a year, and I done it all the way since I remember. That's my level of energy. Qué hueva. Right, híjole. <laughs> I was like, whoa. I would be perpetually sleepy. Like that would be me. That what is it? Like one of those seven dwarfs. I would be sleepy. <laughs> the level of energy he must have is like it's a superpower in itself. You know. I know. I I get fatigued just thinking about doing like more than two or three things in one day. Oh yeah. And this guy does like twenty <laughs> things in one day. <laughs> yeah. You're like, how did I go to seven classes in one day when I was young? <laughs> Yeah. Remember when you and I met, you always wanted to do stuff like, oh, let's go here, let's go there. I'd be like, I can only go out like two or three times a month. And that's it. I can't do more than two or three times a month. <laughs> I remember you had to remind me a few times. I was like, God, my new friend is like a little, like it's going to take a while for me to <laughs> light a fire. He's so lame, but no, <laughs> I don't know. I just need like that time to myself just to rest. Yeah, I get it. Yeah, I understand completely. But I mean, what an enormous amount of respect I have for him, our healthcare workers. Shout out to my little sister and her fiance, Dr. Brenda, Dr. Orly out of New York City. <laughs> <laughs> Thoughts about the story? It definitely is very inspiring and uh, makes me think that maybe I should be less lazy and apply myself. <laughs> <laughs> Learn a new language and start start kicking ass somewhere else or something. <laughs> yeah, start performing brain surgeries here out of my house in Sunland Park. <laughs> oh my God, no. Negative. Just out of the driveway and just use the manguera to hose all the blood and shit down. <laughs> okay. I have clearly missed the mark on this episode. <laughs> this is not what I meant. <laughs> yeah, his life is really fascinating. Uh, Brad Pitt found out about his life and convinced Alfredo over the course of 10 years. It took him 10 years to convince him into selling his uh, rights to make a movie. And I thought it was really great the way he described uh, his movie and how he was setting it up. So here's um, the very last clip that you can hear from him. This is from a TED Talks. So here I am, my son David, he's 16 at the time. He says, Dad, is it true they're going to make a movie about you? I say, yes. Uh, who's going to play you? I said, this is the moment. This is the moment for my son to realize that his old man is the man. And I say, son, they're thinking, uh, well, they want, they want to make this movie real. They want someone really tall. And as you can tell, I'm only about 5'7 with cowboy boots. They want someone really muscular. And as you can tell, I'm more in the stocky category. They want someone really good looking. And as you can tell, I'm probably more in the charmer, charming category, <laughs> you know. But I say, son, they're thinking about Dwayne The Rock Johnson. <laughs> He laughed the way you did, and he said, Dad, it's most likely going to be Danny DeVito playing you. <laughs> I'm actually surprised it's not Brad Pitt playing him. I know, right? He likes to play all the characters. <laughs> I cannot wait for this movie, though. See what I mean about his like high energy? I don't know if you could hear it. I can. And they're actually making a movie about that Cheetos guy, too. No. Actually, Eva Longoria is the one that's producing it. Oh, wow. But you just, okay, we got to figure out if this is real or not, because now that's going to be the difference whether I actually want to watch this movie or not. 
Okay, so again, I saw I saw it on a clickbaity title, but it made me believe that maybe that story that it, it, it's not really an urban legend because it's like a pretty well known story. It's like one of those inspirational stories that um, your boss tells you at work on a Thursday when you're really dragging ass. Yes, but it's pretty well known, and I think a lot of people have heard it, and uh, they made it seem like the story you've heard might not be the the whole story or whatever. But again. I didn't read that clickbaity article, so I'm just speaking out of my ass like I usually do whenever I'm podcasting. <laughs> okay, <laughs> TBD people. But when this one comes out about Dr. Q, we definitely have to go watch it. It sounds great. For sure, I'm down. Okay, great. It's really sad that he still gets death threats and hate mail just because he's Mexican, just because of his race. Yet all the interviews he was in that I saw, he was upbeat talking about fighting cancer every day, both in surgery from a patient as well as in the lab trying to find a cure. I just have to say, Kaliman has nothing on you, Dr. Q. <laughs> <laughs> Any closing thoughts before we wrap her up, sir? No. Um, I mean, I think I've said it all. It's very inspirational. I'm kind of ashamed that I haven't heard of him before. Right. Now you got to tell everybody. This is like, like no excuses now. <laughs> Right. Yeah, this is going to be the Thursday story to be told at work when you're dragging ass rather yeah. than the, the Cheetos guy. <laughs> the Cheetos dude. Step aside, Cheetos dude. Nobody wants you. <laughs> Just kidding. Well, congratulations, lovelies. You've done it again, folks. You've learned along with us how determination and hard work took one man from migrant farm worker to one of the best neurosurgeons in the world. We hope you've been entertained by our chat and invite you to join us again next week. If you're enjoying the show, please leave us a review, tell a friend, and subscribe wherever you're listening to this podcast. Yeah. Follow us on all the socials at GreetingsTAC. Email us at GreetingsTAC at gmail.com or leave us a voicemail at 915-317-6669. If you have your own story of adversity you've overcome, you need to share it with the world. Or tell us your favorite Cheetos recipe. No, no. No, okay. <laughs> Just kidding. Actually, it might not be bad. <laughs> this is Hispanic Heritage Month. <laughs> On next week's episode of Technically a Conversation. In 1860, in Puerto Plata, Dominican Republic, an orphan named Jacinto met a man named Andres. Jacinto agreed to work on Andres's farm in exchange for a place to stay. Jacinto instantly became infatuated with Andres's daughter, Marcelina, and the two were inseparable. One day, while they sat by their favorite tree, Jacinto proclaimed his love for Marcelina. Marcelina responded that she also loved him. While the young couple began discussing their future together, they were disrupted by two high-pitched screams. One echoed through the mountain and forest. The other came from Marcelina as she witnessed the creature that let out the first scream. As Marcelina cried out, My God, la ciguapa! She fainted. Jacinto picked Marcelina up and rushed her back to her father's cabin as Marcelina alternated between unconsciousness, delirium, and seizures. Three days later, Jacinto buried Marcelina under their favorite tree. Let's discuss la ciguapa, the creature that allegedly killed Marcelina. New episodes drop Monday. Make sure to subscribe so you never miss a show.